0: Hello everyone to this um, welcome to this uh, episode of The Views From Down Under. I'm Alex Tan, your host, and today with me on the panel are Orson Tan, Neil Van Vary, and June Espia. Uh, Nick Koo is not with us as he is overseas. Uh, Today, we're going to talk about the Taiwan elections that was just held last week. And as everyone knows, uh, the Democratic Progressive Party managed to hold on to the presidency. And this is actually a first uh, three-term DPP uh, presidency. And it has never been like that in Taiwan. It's always like two-term and then you have a shift in uh, parties that hold on to the presidency. But this time around, it's the three consecutive term of the Democratic Progressive Party. Uh, William Lai won the presidency with a vote of nearly f- nearly forty percent. Um, and the second, uh, the second uh, was about thirty percent, which is the KMT candidate, and the peop- uh, the Taiwan People's uh, Party candidate, and about twenty some odd percent for the presidency. Uh, the results also showed that the legislature was split up this time, and No political party gained over 50% of the 113 seats. It ended up almost, uh, uh, actually the KMT won 52 seats, the DPP won 51, um, the third party, the Taiwan People's Party, TPP, won eight seats, and there's two partisan independents that won uh, two seats. So this is the first time as well in Taiwan we're in, no political party in the legislature uh, captured half of the seats. Unlike the 2000 and 2004 version of the divided government within Taiwan, during 2004 and 2000, at the 2000 uh, legislature, the KMT actually won majority and held on majority of the party through coalition or on its own. This time around, it didn't happen this way. As you, uh, as we reported on our last episode, mm-hmm. I spent some time in Taipei, and to observe the election. And uh, I wouldn't say that the election was unexpected with regards to the result. I think, think
1: we all saw it coming.
0: Yeah, we all saw it coming. And and almost a a year ago, and leading up to the election, actually DPP has been holding on to the lead for a long time. Yep. So and the lead has always been between three and eight percent. Yeah. And it ended up about that. Uh, uh, DPP won almost 6-point-some, almost 7%. 7%, yeah. Yeah, the difference between the first place and the second place. So uh, in Taiwan, they counted the votes as almost uh, under a million, and uh, around 900 some 1000 vote difference between between the DPP candidate and the KMT candidate. As far as my observation of the elections is concerned, I find that this particular election is quite quiet, uh, very quiet. Maybe people already kind of know that yeah. the results are coming in, so it's the the question is more about uh, what's going to happen in the legislature. You know, uh, is uh, one party going to be delivered the majority? Uh, and towards the last few weeks of the election, the TPP came back out a little bit again. Mm-hmm. You know, and and in a way uh, stoked interest uh, in the turnout. The turnout, however, is much lower than the turnout in twenty twenty. Uh, it's it's lower than the. It's well, lo- what
1: was that we were saying? It was almost 70? seven, seven, About seventy
0: nine. something, which was yep. lower than the other one. Yeah. Uh, and mm. it could be that the youth vote did not turn out completely. Yeah. Uh, it could be that, which traditionally is the case anyway, but we have to remember in 2020 one of the one of the things that was really hot with regards to uh the election uh was Hong Kong. Yes. Number mm. one, the Hong Kong mm. events in 2019. Yep. And then COVID, Yeah. right? Yep. And, and and then COVID. So these two things uh, were uh, prop up interest with regards to the election uh, as well, and in fact resulted into a DPP uh, landslide. Yep. Uh, they they mm. lost they lost a little bit of their majority in the legislature, but still managed to win the election mm. uh, despite the fact that earlier indicators were that they might lose, but somehow. The Hong Kong event and the COVID events mm. actually aided them. Mm. This time around, uh, you see that uh, that there's a dip uh, dip in the in the election results. uh, mm. uh ing wen actually got over eight million votes, but William Lai only got five and a half. Yep. It mm. only got five and a half. And then, but in, but also, KMT's 2020 vote for the presidency is also slightly more yep. than the current mm. KMT vote as well uh, by a million or so right so so there is likelihood that uh, you know there's still no no studies uh, that have been done or confirmation but certainly the third party candidate uh, co- uh, uh, TPP candidate coinsur was able to grab votes from both mm-hmm. from both mm. political parties uh, so that's the interesting part now the question then for me in my mind is so what's next? <laughs> Right. Mm. I mean, uh, what's the next when 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 now you have a w- w- you have a divided government and the party that won the presidency actually does not have full control or any control of the legislature. So in a way, the the president's legislative agenda would be compromised mm-hmm. uh, and mm. would be compromised. And now the interesting thing of all this is that the TPP, the third party, Despite only winning eight votes and winning none of the ten seats that they put up candidates for, is the kingmaker—the
2: mm. uh, Wilson Peters of Taiwan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. both Pe- of Taiwan. Yeah, the Winston Peters of Taiwan.
0: <laughs> so, so I, I you know, I, I just like to bring, just throw it out there for us to kind of, you know, looking at it from the outside, right? Looking at, So, what, what, how do you envision, you know, how this goes forward for Taiwan? And um, my view, my initial hunch is that because the TPP is now playing the Kingmaker role, and when they were campaigning, one of the campaign things that they were saying is beyond blue and green, beyond blue and green. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. in a way and, and then they attract they they attract this these votes voters that are, in a way protest voters, right? They are mm. so tired, sick and tired of the traditional blue and, and green. Yep. And they wanted mm. to emphasize more about, you know, their economic livelihood, uh, stagnant wages in Taiwan, employment prospects, expensive housing, all these issues. So my hunch is is that it it's very likely that the TPP will play that part quite well, mm-hmm. like they, mm. because they also, despite the fact that they are the small party, they do have the benefit of. Maybe even playing an influential agenda-setting role if they want to. Mm. What do you guys think?
1: Would it be agenda-setting or agenda-controlling? Oh, that could be. You know, but could I I, I think the the first thing that comes out if you look at the results of the Taiwan election is that it's a reminder to everybody that do- domestic elections are all about bread and butter issues. Yeah. You know, mm. no matter how much you have the threat of China. Or whatever foreign policy issue you want to talk about. At the end of the day, if you can't put a roof over your head and and food on the table, you're gonna vote out the incumbent government. Yeah. And I and I said mm. that in the last episode as well, right? Post COVID, we have seen around the world that incumbent governments that seen the country through the COVID pandemic, and then struggled to deal with the 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 high inf- high inflation and the economic uh, backlash from 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 the world coming out of uh, COVID. Have struggled to keep their, keep themselves in power. You know, labor here mm. in New Zealand, and now we have the DPP in the legislative UN. And at the end yep. of the day, you know, if if it, and it, also the
0: the uh, the coalition government in Australia lost oh, yep, too, right? Yep, so yep, Albanese yep, won yep, yep. as a result. Also,
1: so it's, it's it's just a reminder that that as much as you know, international relations and the the thing the the events that happen outside. Our waters are important. You've got to get your house in
3: order.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And, and I think that's, that's that's definitely very, very, very true. Because if you think of the China factor in the Taiwan elections, right? Um, we heard yesterday as well, uh, the other day uh, in, in, in a separate panel, talking about this idea that actually when you think of China threat, for Taiwan, that threat has been there since 1949. Yep. So it's not mm. actually a variable. Yeah. You know, it's a constant. Yeah. So if it's a constant, yes. people are actually already dis- not discounted it, but they've already factored it in their calculation, calculation. to begin yeah. with. Mm. And then the the next step of the calculation is so okay. What next? Right? What are the other yeah. things that will affect my yeah. calculation? And and, and and this is
1: exactly what we argued in our paper when we mm. she sent to Prague about the idea that the real real what happens with the realignment, especially for the youth, is that that the whole. Blue Green DPP KMT cleavage, which is f- so focused on reunification and independent independence, Taiwan, yeah. independence and independent Taiwan identity, it doesn't matter anymore because these these youth, you know, what they care about is whether they can have a job, w- whether the salaries that they are earning are gonna be up to market rate when they compare it with the rest of the world. Yeah, you know, whether the 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 they are able to. Own a own a house, you know. It's the same problems that any any you voter in any developed country is facing at the moment.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, we mm-hmm. even, I saw this. I saw this report in uh, on CNN about you know quote unquote the American dream. Yes. And how that dream <laughs> is actually <laughs> significantly changing, which brings us to that idea of uh, you know there was a piece. Uh, uh, published a couple a year or two ago at the American Political Science Review that introduced this idea of what is called negative status discordance, right? Mm-hmm. So the yep. negative status discordance is this idea yeah. that the younger generation are feel that they can never attain yep. the status of their parents' generation, yep. and, and that is the kind of protest vote that you're seeing. And mm-hmm. while we do not have empirical evidence of that in Taiwan yet, because it's still too early, yeah. election studies surveys are not going Com- to be done, done until end of this year mm-hmm. but you know you can see you know the the that type of protest vote right among the younger generation towards supporting a third party yep. that is saying that hey you know what you've been quarreling about this blue and green issues for for so many years for 20 25 30 years and and it's not really solved the, uh, the 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 problems of the young generation of the mm you know, people starting out their career, for example, and...
1: I, I think the most telling sign of that is actually the polling data when the news came out that Co was considering an alliance with the KMT and putting together a, a ticket, a presidential ticket, where either one of them was going to be president. I mean, obviously, we knew that mm. it fell out over the fact that they couldn't decide who wants to be top dog, right? Yeah. But the the, the polls immediately after those news came out, you could see a, a, a decline in TPP votes. Yes. And that shows you that you know, they they are only these these people were leaning towards the TPP only because it was an alternative to what they had already.
0: That's right, that's right, that's right. So Neil, uh, uh, June, and uh, Neil chip in.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, One interpretation, of course, that we would see right now in most analysis of how the election turned out is. You know, people may be supporting DPP's foreign policy directions because, as you said, it is the default position anyway. Yep. Not much about the China issue. But they're not necessarily supporting them in terms of the domestic policies. And they've had, mm-hmm. what, eight years of the DPP, mm-hmm. and now you have problems of inflation, wages, uh, and, and and so on. But that said, uh, it'll be interesting in the next few weeks, what, the negotiations? Between the executive, uh, between DPP and whatever is the outcome of the negotiations, that the legislature is going to look like. Yep. Because uh, my argument here is, we cannot, in fact, it because Taiwan is not a normal country. Then you cannot totally separate <laughs> the bread and butter issues from the, mm. the from the domestic issues. And the way I see it is, you know, you you have a pie. And that pie has to be chopped up between things like her care, energy, benefits, mm-hmm. and health care. Yeah, yeah. And then there's a the big chunk that you've always paid for, which is defense, Yeah. Yeah. Right? yeah. So if the armed policy position is defense, but what much of the constituency wants is attention to domestic-ish bread and butter issues, you know, what is the pie going to look like, Yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And, and it's interesting in Taiwan because uh, part of the reason is also institutional. The way government is designed, you have a semi-presidential system that, that, to me, hasn't really been tested. I think. Yeah, but so far as mm. a divided uh, government, so to speak, minority mm. government, so to speak, in, right. in uh, since since they elected the president in in 1996. So, to me, what will the pie look like? And then certainly uh, for uh, uh, partners like the United States and and Japan uh, and and, and South Korea, you would want the defense pie to kind of stay the same, but apparently the domestic yeah. demand doesn't look but, like but that But I and don't so, think there's an hmm. issue with
1: keeping the dome- the defense uh share of the pie the same and and rejigging the rest mm-hmm. right because the the issue that that seemed to be talked about a lot in this election was the fact was more on the how the rest of the pie was shared and how the money was split. The mm. problem is whether it's the DPP or the KMT. No matter who you're gonna vote, uh, who comes to power, they're always gonna be business friendly in Tai Taiwan. You know, yeah, they they are always gonna be mm. pro business, not pro labor. The 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 benefits you get, whether it is green or blue, get, be get we forming the government is still gonna lean towards you know focusing on 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 helping the businesses grow and the 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 money coming in there. And and when business grows. We hear this argument a lot about how you know the one percent or the 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 Wall Street bankers get richer and everyone else doesn't benefit, and that's the Donald Trump line, right? Yeah, and 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 that's what's caught on in 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 Taipei or Taiwan itself, amongst especially amongst the younger younger vote, voters, and it's it's not just them, right? Because they look across the Taiwan Straits and they see their, you know, compatriots in from the PRC who are the same age who are protesting the same way, just they can't change the government so they do their whole uh, life flat thing and they don't want to work and they they quit their jobs in the urban centres and move to the villages and they rather live live as farmers there or something. You, There's a lot of these, these things coming out. So there's a lot of issues that Taiwan has to deal with in terms of how they've, like any developed state actually today, is how, how do you deal with this idea that the promise of economic growth and social mobility and ev- you know the the mm. the rising waters lift all boats it's not going to not going to hold true for this younger generation anymore so how do you address that
0: yeah it's mm. it's very tricky for 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 this party for the three parties yep. today because obviously uh, there are these protest voters mm-hmm. uh, uh, right there having said that though before you know we go in deeper the rea- you know when being there on the ground you really feel that uh, I feel that uh, I definitely have to say that, uh, and I'm sure you will agree with me, I definitely congratulate Taiwan's democracy for such a peaceful, Mm. peaceful election. They really showed the Mm. way on how elections are to be done, uh, how it has to be conducted, putting
1: some countries to shame.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, in a way, yeah. I mean, I mean it's 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 both it's both the restraint and the consent of yeah. the winners and the losers, yeah. right? I mean, mm. very early on, uh, uh, when the trends are pretty much showing that 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 gap is never gonna close, the KMT candidate uh Yi uh, actually called. Uh, William Lai, Lai ching already and congratulated him. Yep. And so by the time that Lai uh, went up the stage, he already said that he's already gotten a call from Ko and from Ho mm. that uh, they've congratulated him and and stuff like that. And that's the that is a very very good signal of the fact that uh, democracy has really enrooted in Taiwan. Mm-hmm. Uh, but mm. the, but like Jun, as you said, this version of divided government and semi-presidentialism has never been tested. Right. Mm. So so and there's lots in the agenda. Defense is one of them amongst many competing agendas, like any other government in the yeah. world, right? So and mm. inflation not abating is not helping. So so mm. uh, uh and and security now is being used as any by by the big countries by the big boys in the world to use as a way to be protectionist. Yep. It's not yep. good. Yep. It's absolutely not good yep. for yep. For, for, yep. for a trading state like Taiwan. So, multiple challenges. Uh, and uh, Neil, what do you, how do you see it?
3: Oh, well, uh, certainly on the point of democracy, I think it's certainly for the last two years, we've heard and seen democratic recession and democratic backsliding constantly in different parts of the world. Before Taiwan's election, the other election in Asia was Bangladesh. Yep. And that turned out completely differently <laughs> to the way the, the Taiwanese election turned out. So, you know, we certainly have to congratulate Taiwan for the transparency and the accountability and the fairness with which the election was conducted. In terms of the domestic politics, I think it was very interesting for the implications that that, that it might have for the party system going forward. You know, in a way, there's certainly a little more fragmentation currently, given that there is a new political party on the block with seats in the, in the legislature. The DPP almost uh, has had a weakened mandate, in a way, given that it's lost seats in the legislature as well. Yeah. Uh, from, from the DPP's perspective, I agree. I think they are in the position of being the kingmaker, which gives them a lot of potential. Yeah. And William Lai, the incoming president, is confronted by multiple veto players, in a way. Not only yeah. has he lost the legislature, but no other party controls the legislature. Yeah. And that buy-in-off itself introduces another veto player right there. And we know that the more veto players you get, the more there is going to be status quo. Yeah. So how do you address those multiple problems going forward? But yeah. the TPP, it's interesting, I think, from my perspective. They've garnered the support of young people, um, and they've catered to that vote. But, you know, you as a third party, it's good to remember that the law of coalition politics dictates that if you go into a coalition, the minor party quite often suffers in subsequent elections. So, I'm quite interested to see if the TPP is able to institutionalize that support, is able to institutionalize itself as a political party, and what that means for the TPP for the KMT, the third straight loss of the presidency in a yeah. way. And going back to that point of cleavages, you know if if that cleavage of unification versus close or versus independence is is in a way becoming a reality. In terms of realignment, then where's where we look? Think of Lipset and Rokan in my mind. Where's the next cleavage on which you base yourself as a political party? Yeah, you know, and what does this mean for the KMT and the process of perhaps deinstitutionalization or even or even institutionalization for the KMT going forward? That's interesting. And then how does this, of course, result in? How the, 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 this evolution of the party system going forward relates with the, the electoral system of MMM is the mixed member majoritarian able to consolidate it back to a two-party system? Mm-hmm. That's also yeah. something interesting to see. Yeah. But of course, you know, in terms of the multiple challenges that we were talking about, the William line, the DPP are in a predicament where even though the DPP does not openly is not openly amenable to the 1992 consensus, what are you going to do about the economy? Yeah, you know, economic reliance on China is very much evident and persistent. You can't investment. run away from it. You can't run away from the reality. Yep. So but so how do you how do you solve those economic issues while at the same time trying to reduce your economic reliance on China, while at the same time trying to address security concerns? I think it's uh, I, I I think it'll be certainly intriguing to see how all of that plays out. I, yes. I,
1: I think in a way it's almost that like we may be in for four years where of you know Taiwan actually not being able to do anything, like moving. I, the, I think it's status quo. Yeah, yeah, like moving the needle wise, it's it's it. In terms of whether it's the the KMT or the the DPP or even the TPP as a agenda setter or agenda controller, mm. you know, n- nobody's gonna be able to m- move the needle. Nobody's gonna no. make make enough waves to 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 rock the boat. Which but, yeah. but,
0: but having said yeah. that though, I think there's some interesting. There's some interesting opportunities that can open up, right? Yeah. Depending on because, as you say, uh, if you if you are the two large parties, theoretically, if you look at this, mm. you have KMT and DPP as the large parties. Uh, they have a they have a situation wherein if they make whatever proposal, yep. right, then they have to appeal to the KMT and the TPP to come along, mm-hmm. right? Now. Mm but how do you let them come along when they, they also have this idea that we want to check on executive power we want to check on your mm, yep. we want to be an effective check on your government correct yeah. mm. so i view it as an opportunity in a way okay just think of it following this theoretical exercise would be all right. so if you're tpp and you know that you actually have the 8 votes that are critical for any party right so mm. so just remember you need 57 votes to pass anything Yeah. Okay. Mm. So KMT has 52 plus two friendlies. So that's 54. Yeah. All right. And Mm. then uh, DPP has 51. (laughs) So either or, they definitely need the TPP to carry them over. Mm. Correct. Mm -hmm. So if I were the TPP, if I were the TPP, and I'm, and I'm, and I've been talking about political reforms, complaining about this and that. Yeah. Right. So in fact, it might be in their, to their advantage, right? That they actually set the agenda. You know, we're not yeah. talking about. So you, you have two types of players, right? Yep, yep. One player is mm. we're in the, the the plurality party, the largest party in the in the legislature. Puts up a, puts up a proposal, right, yeah. and then bring the mm. TPP along, mm-hmm. correct? So that's the traditional coalition, coalition right? Yeah, the traditional yeah. coalition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. in this case, you can reverse the king. I don't want to be the kingmaker. I be the agenda setter instead, yes, right? Yeah. So imagine if you play a, it's not even a. I'm not even talking about a sequential game with regards to the TPP. Mm. I'll think. Just think of it as a simultaneous game. A simultaneous game. It's like, uh, think of it. Think of it: if we're buying a car, right? Yep. If if we're thinking of mm. buying a car, you just you have one way of buying a car. You can go to each and every dealer yep. and ask for yep. a bid. You know how much? You know how much are you going to sell? Buy you know whatever. You, this is my spec. How much is that? That's that cost, right? Yep. You can go one by one. Mm. Alternatively, you can announce and say, "I'm going to buy a car." Public announcement.
1: Give me your best.
0: Give me your best yeah. shot. Yeah. Correct. So if they do that. As a small party, they don't get dragged along by the two larger parties' yep. agenda, yep. but instead mm. they can actually push some agenda that they that they that they think they care. Mm-hmm. In in in, yeah. in in a way, it can avoid uh, Neil what you were talking about a permanent coalition between a large and a small party, and at the end, the small party gets penalized. Yep, because yep. this time around, yep. they can, li- li- you know, TPP has an opportunity in a way to say we're doing this for the betterment of Taiwan's. Democracy, and for mm. Taiwan's political development, right? Mm-hmm. We're we're improving yeah. Taiwan's political development. This is our proposal, mm-hmm. right? This is our proposal. Who wants to come along? <laughs> so yeah, right? I'm I, I want to buy, you know, I want to buy this particular car with this particular uh, uh, features. DPP, KMT. How are you gonna supply? Yeah, <laughs> supply me your yeah. best bid. So and. This is an it could be an opportunity.
1: It could be. Yeah. It could be an opportunity,
0: yeah. you know, so that a, maybe we can see a lot of these more TPP concerned issues yep. being pushed. Yeah. Because because it the two the larger party will run the risk of the voter's ire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? So if the TPP is coming out with these proposals, because it might seem it they can package it such that it will look like as if there's no self-interest there. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like mm. it's it's for yeah. the it's for the common good. Yeah, it's for the common good. It's for the public good. So it's, we're, it's
1: above the divide, right? That's right. It's above the yeah. blue-green divide. Yeah. Yeah. Let's propose yeah. this.
0: It's for the common good for the for the for the betterment of Taiwan society yeah. for yeah. the betterment of yeah. Taiwan's domestic yeah. politics, and then and then you literally will will give <laughs> the DPP and KMT food for thought. Oh my gosh! So yeah, we we wanna. Free ride on this. What do you think? Yeah,
2: is that possible? I, th- I think in that particular scenario, if you play the game over and over again, it's the KMT that ends losing out. Why? Mm. There's still one ace in the hole for the DPP. and they have the executive, and exclusive introduction of budget parameters yeah. and still live with the executive, and they can play that as a bargaining chip against whatever populist policy that the TPP wants. So over and over again, I think. DPP can do that, but DPP has a card to play. Now, where does that put the KMT? Yeah, not in a very good place.
0: Unfortunately, they would have to suck it up, right? Because yeah. they didn't. They did, at the end of the day, they did not win enough. That's the reality, yeah. right? Yeah. They did yeah. not win enough. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Although having said that, KMT would be able to to get something out of these deals, right? If it is policies that are more directed towards, let us say, reforms of the uh, executive branch, right? Yeah. The executive relate, like for example, the current executive relationship. One one thing that I can throw out here, for example, uh, Taiwan's semi-presidential system is such that it is kind of like a half-baked French system. You know, mm. uh, you have a presidency that is directly elected, but only one round. It's yep. only one round, right? So at the end of the day, uh, a president—if if there are four candidates or three candidates—you know that one of the can uh, none of the candidates is ever going to get over half that vote, yep. right? Mm. Yep. So not getting half that vote uh, creates a situation wherein you, you know, some people will talk about mandate uncertainty. Yep. Correct. So yeah. the president. The president not not getting over half. So what is his mandate, right? So mm. so in mm. fact, right now, you know, uh, even China is saying that oh, we're not gonna deal with uh, the DPP government because sixty percent of them didn't really vote for for him. Mm. That's another point, right? That's another point. But the reality is is that in Taiwan situation, where in there are more than three candidates. It's more than likely that you're not gonna get uh, over half the vote. The same in the Philippines. Remember with. Uh, Mm. with Fidel Ramos getting under 25% of the vote. My my recall was, uh, if if I recall correctly, and in in effect, it doesn't serve the president very well uh, because, Mm -hmm. especially in the case of the Philippines, some of the senators actually got more vote than him, you know, (laughs) percentage-wise, right? And and Filipino senators have essentially the same voting constituency Mm. as the president. So it undermines the presidency that way. Uh, And so maybe let's say in a in a situation of uh uh if the tpp decides that oh you know what let's suggest this this is let's put up on the table that maybe we should uh, do a two round uh we should have a majoritarian precedent so uh in the first round if if somebody wins outright a majority then that's done if it's mm. not then then the first two vote getters go on a runoff Yep. And because mm. if you think of the TPP calculation on that, it still makes sense for them, right? So yeah. because all they need to do is make sure that they're number two.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Mm. Right? In, in in any round that they're number two. And then they will have a good shot <laughs> at being number yeah. one yeah. in a runoff, yeah. correct? So, yeah. so, I, I, so in a political reform situation, mm. they might be able to convince the KMT because currently they are, like you said, uh, June, they are sitting out <laughs> – Of the executive branch for the for the longest time, and then the other reform that I felt that you know just to rationalize the whole system is that in Taiwan the the premier is selected by the president, but the but the premier and cabinet are actually not members of the legislature, Mm -hmm. you know, unlike the French system wherein they are, yeah, but they are still responsible to the legislature, and Mm. the legislature can still do a vote of no confidence, and mm-hmm. you know, do the whole lot. Of course, the president can always threaten to to dissolve parliament, right? So, yeah. so in a way, there are there are things that that maybe the the TPP can can mm. can propose, can be the first yeah. mover, and it could attract, mm. it could attract uh, the KMT particularly because the KMT has been sitting out uh, of the executive yeah. branch for the last uh, eight years and counting, correct? Yeah. So it's very interesting to see what kind of issues. Uh, yes, on on some issues I see probable stalemate. Yep. Mm. Uh, I I think on some issues it could be stalemate. So, so. What the the next president should be doing, what President Lai, the the, um, President Elect Lie should be doing going forward, is maybe plot out what are the so-called. Low-hanging fruits
3: to pick—the mm.
0: yep. things that would have very easy uh, agreement. Just do it now. Yeah, you yeah. know, just do it now. And I, I think that would be
1: that and, would and, be and it's and it's a good opportunity, right? Because you know that if you are DPP and William lied, you're being hamstrung by the fact that you don't don't control the legislature. The KMT, you're hamstrung by the fact that you've lost out the presidency and your your majority in the legislature is. Dependent on, on on a third party. That the the mm. incentive for you to cooperate on these low hanging fruits are there, you know. And and it's you, we must remind everybody again that you know when we talk about Taiwan as a democracy, we're talking about a very very young democracy. Yeah, yeah. They're not. Even, yeah. They're not even thirty years into into their their journey as a, a fully fledged. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I would mm. even say that I would even say that when people talk about consolidated democracy, Taiwan didn't really get consolidated democracy until 2016. Yeah, you know when you have a yeah. a, a fully majority shift. Yeah, uh, in the yeah. legislature, because you know for the long KMT dominance of the legislature was up until 2016. Yep. Yes, there have been flip flop yep. on the presidency, but the legislature's first time is yep. like that, and this is the second time. Mm. Yep, right. So in a way, now you can see, yeah, maybe Taiwan's democracy is consolidated. The, I think what what is handed what the voters handed the the three parties if they play it correctly is an opportunity to build to do things for the public good and for the mm. common good you yeah. right so it is depend it really depends on whether now you have visionary leaders who can yeah. who understand how to play the game and make sure that they're building for Taiwan's democracy consolidating yeah. Taiwan's democracy there's no turning back you know mm-hmm. Taiwan's democracy, is already consolidated, in my view, and and but there are real issues that can not mm. that Taiwan's democracy is poor, no, not that, that not Taiwan's democracy is weak, no. But now it's to make sure that it gets fine-tuning, to fine-tune yeah. it, yeah. to fine-tune yeah. it, and the opportunity is there, absolutely there. You know, so low-hanging fruits uh, can be done. You know, public good, common good uh, uh, bills and. Legislation could be attractive because then you can, you can bring in all these major parties, uh, mm. and it's an opportunity that actually was given to the political parties to show that they're not only self-interested actors, <laughs> but they can actually yeah. act for the common good. So, so this, this is a a very interesting uh, guys. This is more like a very interesting stag hunt. Stag hunt game, yeah. right? So everybody has to everybody has to wait and hag uh, and and hunt for the stag yeah. rather than hunt for the rabbit, right? Yeah. So there's a better equilibrium for everyone. And how do you get to that Pareto Pareto optimal uh, equilibrium uh, for them? So geopolitically, though, uh, uh, June, how do you see it from uh, sitting in the Philippines? Uh, when Marcus said, uh, congratulations, and we're going to work closely.
2: <laughs> of course, uh, we know what the Philippine core interests are insofar far as Taiwan is concerned. First, of course, is the welfare of our 300,000 or so OFWs in there. And second, you know, when conflict erupts in the Taiwan Strait, we know what we are. And we are an American forward base yep. and <laughs> we will mm-hmm. be involved. Uh it's interesting that the in ASEAN as a whole—it's only in fact Singapore and the Philippines that uh, that, that that congratulated uh, Lie in this. And I think there's there's a lot of good uh, that's seen by the foreign policy establishment in the Philippines to strengthen their relationship with Taiwan, while at the same time uh, pushing back against uh, Chinese incursions incursions in the in the South China Sea. But everybody else in the in the ASEAN, uh Vietnam, Indonesia, Cambodia, uh Malaysia has reiterated their one China policy position. Uh Thailand and, and Timor has been has been silent on it. Um it also shows you uh kind of how outsized uh I think the ramifications of Taiwan's elections to everybody else. Uh there's going to be a lot of elections this year, and I think Size-wise, you know, Taiwan is a small country, but it's there's also this election are seen outside as having more ramifications than than the other elections that's uh, going to happen, and, and obviously because that's uh, this because of Taiwan's place in the scheme of great power competition and its place in in geopolitical conflict. Mm. Um, it's interesting as well that um, there's there's a view there's a question of uh, uh, would would Lie be more uh, interested perhaps to turn that, the question the other way around, will Dai be more interested in engaging with the PRC uh, diplomatically than, than Chai ever was?
0: Hmm. I, think, I think my view on that is, is that there's a likelihood that you know, even even Tsai, uh I would say, has always had that interest in con- connecting with or, or re- renewing to, yeah. and talking to China. I don't think the problem really is in Taiwan. The problem is mm. more on China. You know, because the, the problem for, 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 for China is, is that they set up so many preconditions, right, yep. in order for mm-hmm. these talks to occur. But in, in a way, China misreads Taiwan uh, and don't understand that it is difficult for leaders that have been elected under certain platform to do certain things that will ensure that they will not be there. You know? Mm. So you know, democratic leaders want to make sure that they win the next election. Democratic leaders are accountable to the voters that voted them there. So it is impossible Mm. to tell, you know, Taiwan to do certain things when the voters will not agree to that. Public opinion is particularly Mm. important. And and China misreads Taiwan this way. With regards to the idea of Taiwan is either status quo to independence. It's not a unification. No voters are gonna go that mm. route, right? And mm. the consolidation of Taiwanese identity, national identity, is real. And Ben Orson, you you you've been studying on on you know using your Q methodology yep. to study the youth voters and how that has actually shifted, right? Yep. And and in a way, uh, it also confirmed uh, um, Cal Clark and my study and Carl Ho's study about. The realignment that yeah. has occurred in 2016—it's not—it's not a mirage. It's actually real, and this election actually showed it. So I would—I would say that you know it is—it probably is to it's more more likely to the advantage of Lie to be able to to open up that channel. Mm-hmm. But I still see that the chat that the problem is not in Taiwan. I'm sure. I'm sure the administrations, whatever administration, whatever stripe, will be open to talk to China. The problem is whether China gives so many preconditions that makes it so difficult for any Taiwanese administration to accept the preconditions, even just to talk, right? So mm. they, have to, they have to understand. They, China has to understand. They have to give something also. You know, if they're so intransigent, then you know. I mean, it's hard for the Taiwanese, any Taiwanese administration. But that's not
1: how China sees itself in the world, right? That's
0: the problem, yeah. right? So, so, to blame Taiwan on all this, that Taiwan is the troublemaker, you know, it's you know, it's the wh- what do we say? You know, calling the kettle black. Yeah. You pot know? calling the kettle black. Yeah. yeah. The pot calling the kettle black kind of kind of idea. So, so that's that's where it is. Mm. So, but yeah, I I I'm really uh, quite interested with the response that Marcus gave, and then all of that thing that happened, but maybe, you know, I mean, the next move from the Philippine side is also the move about how they address their own one China policy mm. uh, in order to to uh, uh, manage relations with China and Taiwan. And, you know, mm-hmm. Taiwan has always been a very important part for Philippine labor uh, destination. Mm. And, but more than that, uh, there's a lot of Taiwanese investments in the Philippines. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of Taiwanese mm. investments in the Philippines relations have always been relatively cordial you know it's always been between the Philippines and and, and, and Taiwan but the next step right so it it's it opens up these possibility uh, of next steps we because as far as Southeast Asia cons- is concerned uh, and ASEAN concerned Taiwan is uh, Philippines is Taiwan's closest Southeast Asian neighbor Yep. Mm. you know yep. even in a good day in southern Taiwan. Uh, you can see northern philippines so on yeah. a, on a very very good day so there is this incentive to actually work for neighborliness because there are also issues that are unique to taiwan and the philippines right you know the overlapping EEZ, the fishing areas mm-hmm. in the north mm-hmm. you know yeah. all of that these is these are real so yeah. there are works that, that that can be done so let's see how how lie you know, continues on Thai's policy uh, of uh, the mm. new southbound policy. I was going to we... talk
1: about that because I think what ASEAN is actually going to look at is what happens to the new southbound policy because mm. the new southbound policy yeah. was announced in, what, 2018 and what we saw from Taiwan... 2016, 2016, 2017. Yeah. yeah, what we saw from, from, from coming out of Taipei was nothing much. Mm. They, yeah. You know, they, yeah. they announced it with all this big hoo-ha, but, you know, the actual underground work and, and things that are done to to link up with with their southern neighbors nothing much and we've said it many many times that this is an issue that Taiwan has when it when it mm. looks to its closest neighbors it doesn't want to 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 take that step and 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 work with them as equals and which mm. goes a long way to explain why a lot of the ASEAN states were quiet were quiet about things because yeah. you know it doesn't really move the needle and I've said and, this before.
2: And also, I think the also the peculiar problem of not even having an official embassy in one country, I think that matters a lot what your kind of boots on the ground looks like because they can't engage with you openly. Uh, how do you kind of un- roll out a program as large as that in a sense because you can't even be there officially? Y- yes, so that's a that, peculiar that, that, Taiwan that, problem. That
1: may be true, but Taiwan has a lot of experience being involved in Southeast Asia, you know, as, you know, James pointed out in his examiner's report on my thesis, you know, the the, the Taiwanese Office of Overseas Chinese Affairs have been uh, involved a lot in their own version of the United Front work in in, in Southeast Asia for a very long time, in the early uh, 70s and 80s. You know, they, they have the experience of, of, of being there and, and shaking hands and making relationships, but they just haven't done it well enough in Southeast Asia.
0: Mm. I think I think that's one thing that uh, for the Lai government to definitely pursue yep. because uh, if they're going to con- con- continue to diversify, mm-hmm. uh, ensure mm. that ensure that it uh, protects its own economy and protect all the risks of of whatever happens in China, for example, yep. you know, with China's economy slowing down, it it's also still incumbent for Taiwan to develop. Uh, those relationship because, you know, like in New Zealand, mm. we talk about the importance of ASEAN yep. and the ASEAN market being a five six hundred million people market, a growing middle class, yep. and very young, right? Mm-hmm. So from an economic perspective, for Taiwan, it also would benefit them, uh, and plus, more importantly, the the other problem that Taiwan faces is that it's not in RCEP, yep. neither is it in CPTPP. Mm, yeah. So they yeah. definitely have to find some ways. In order to break that uh, impasse, so yep. to speak, and allow mm. for its business to have market access, to its economy to have market access, and and ASEAN is right there. That market yep. is right there. So, yeah. how to develop it and how to pursue that relationship uh, is challenging because you know the one-China policy of many ASEAN states, and mm. China has also quite influence in several of the of ASEAN this, yep. states. So. Makes mm. it really quite tough.
1: I, I think it's a. I, I do want to say though that if from ASEAN's point of view, this election is the best case scenario. Mm. Or the the results of this election is the best case scenario. Mm. Basically, what you have is a is is a hamstrung Taiwan, right? Every single leading political party, all the three of them are hamstrung to a certain extent where they cannot rock the boat. And if they cannot rock the boat, that means status quo is gonna more stability gonna yeah. be. Re- going to mm. re- remain the same right and that 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 equates to stability and that is exactly why singapore made that statement you know there was a big hoo ha about china rebuking singapore and all that but singapore made that statement just to remind both taiwan both sides, both sides that you know mm. what we want is status quo and and it was very telling because when when china said that you Got to recognize your your uh, one China pr- our one China principle Singapore said you know we recognize the one China principle that we have said our one China policy and not your one China principle yeah, yeah. and mm. our one China policy is that status quo must remain until both sides make an agreement on on how to move forward
3: yeah yeah yeah
0: yeah you're yeah. right and China always pushes the idea it's a principle yeah everybody pushes the idea that it's a it's policy. policy yeah it's very very different yeah and, and Neil how does yeah. India see
3: it? Well, um, I was looking at, I was looking at, I was sort of reading about this, and unlike Philippines or Singapore, India hasn't issued a single statement, either congratulating Lai lie or even acknowledging the result of the election.
1: It's not important enough And
3: <laughs> Well, well, yeah, I mean, yes. I mean, it's it, because there was, there was quite a bit of brouhaha, that, eh, the world's largest democracies and congratulating Taiwan, even though Taiwan and India share common ground as far as China's concerned. Um, India's land border with China yeah. is certainly very much going through uh, the, still those cycles of an acrimonious skirmish which took place in 2020. Yep. We're still going through all that. Yeah, tensions are still and there. Yes, yes. And, and it's so India's relations with China itself aren't, aren't the greatest currently. And as far as, I think, despite the similarities and despite those the, the, that common ground that um, India shares with, China, with with Taiwan, economically... If we look at the India-Taiwan relationship, yes, in recent years, you've had some investment from Taiwan going into India. Yes, you've had some semiconductor manufacturing firms opening plants in India. But that still pales in comparison to the economic relations that India has with other East Asian states, Japan and South Korea. And uh, so economically, it certainly isn't it isn't big enough. I think two-way trade between India and Taiwan is less than 5 billion currently, and it has mm. been for the better part mm. of the last... Mm. 20 odd years. Mm. Um even I think from India's perspective even militarily I'm not sure how much New Delhi can contribute should should uh, you know things take a turn for the worse as far as the Taiwan strait is concerned. But but yes it has the ability. Sorry?
1: But it's not always about the enemy of my enemy is my friend for India, right? No. Because no, in the, the the case of of Taiwan is very unique in the way that you know Legally speaking, Taiwan has no international standing as a independent sovereign nation. So, in any case, you know you could argue that they are a separatist state, trying to be a breakaway province. And India has a problem with that, in India itself.
3: Well, it does. It does. I think what, what what New Delhi, I think, will find comforting in the William Lai victory is the fact that, um, it is the, it is the DPP that is still in power. Yeah. Um, in 2016, the New South policy was, in its current form, was proposed by the DPP. Yep. And I think the onus from New Delhi's perspective is still on Taiwan to try and articulate it more, particularly in relation to India and South Asia. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think New Delhi's waiting a bit for that. But at the end of the day, I think New Delhi is very happy with the fact that if things can stay as stable as possible, they're fine with that. Yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's, it's a, you know a lot of India's trade goes with the Taiwan Strait and the South China yeah. Sea. Yeah, it's the best case scenario um, for the region. Yeah, and think I think I agree.
0: Yeah, I think it's quite telling also that immediately after the election, President Biden came out with a statement congratulating Taiwan on a very successful election, yeah. a peaceful and fair election, and congratulated uh, uh, President ching to for uh, President-elect uh, for winning the election. But immediately said that uh, uh, White House, United States, is not, you know, uh, uh, supportive of uh, Taiwan independence. You know, so Mm. that is also another statement and emphasizing that we need to be stable. Uh, That status quo, that status quo should stay, and it's a very interesting way, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. we can interpret Mm -hmm. it in many ways, right? Uh, The interesting thing all about this is that the the three party split in the legislature, in in fact. You know, makes it the possibility of a much more less volatile, a uh, uh, more stable, more status quo emphasis, more to
1: predictable. Be,
0: yeah, m- to be mm. more likely. Yeah. uh at least from the Taiwan side, but yeah. I, but but hard to say when you when you when you're interpreting from the other side from <laughs> from yeah. Beijing. No, no
1: one knows what Beijing is Yeah, because uh, yeah.
0: for now we know that they are very focused on their own domestic polit- uh, economic issues yeah. that they yeah. have to deal with. They do have to deal mm. with that. So. Uh, I know we're coming up to uh, 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 50 minutes of the show already, but uh, I just want to say that the, at least this election shows that democratic elections can be run peacefully. It could be managed mm. uh, uh, you know, debates can be acrimonious, but at the end of the day, you know, uh, winners' consents, losers' consents and restraints all help, right? Yep. So uh, a magnanimity in victory and graciousness in defeat. Uh, helps in legitimizing a partic- uh, any government, yep. any government. Mm. But all eyes are still at the most imp- uh, at the the very important election that is going to happen in the first Tuesday of November Ho- in the United hopefully States. Hopefully, they
1: learn something.
0: Uh, yes, and maybe we should organize a uh, we should organize an election observation uh, uh, team. Oh, yes. To visit the various cities in the United States, oh, yes. uh, uh, and uh, and I would say that Taiwan would be a very good candidate to organize that. Yes, uh, since they have run <laughs> yes. it really well. Yes, indeed. So so that'll be uh, interesting. So but but yeah, I mean, then the question is, whatever happens in that election at the end of the year and the ramification to every other situation that we're we've been analyzing, right? So. Um, just a quick point uh, that I you know wanted to mention as well. One of the challenges that Taiwan will face going forward is how does the world keep how does it keep the world's attention on Taiwan? Mm. Right now that there are lots of competing competing um, issues that that the world is also attending to. Right, mm. so the Houthis, the attacks on the Red mm. Sea shipping. Hamas and Israel, you know, Ukraine war is still not done. You know, so it's still not done. So all of these issues are taking attention away. And if you will notice, uh, you know, really Taiwan's attention. You know, we became attentive to what happened in Taiwan. You know, mainly, mainly because of one thing: the supply chain that got really screwed up with COVID, Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden Taiwan's critical role in everybody's economy. Mm. Right. So because. Prior to that and after that, after COVID 2020, prior to that, the Chinese military has been encircling Taiwan with its planes. Mm -hmm. After Mm. 2020, they were still doing the same thing. So that's a constant. But what changed? (laughs) The the idea of the supply chain got really...
1: Semiconductors. Yeah, yeah. The semiconductors, the
0: supply chain and everything. So Taiwan has been, you know, people's attention has been to the critical importance of Taiwan in global economic stability, yep. let alone mm. regional political stability, right? So, yeah. and security issues. So so the question for Taiwan then next time, the, the, the feud for this current government is, how do you keep the world's attention to Taiwan's, you know, plight yeah. in the world and how important it is to the world? So with all these challenges going forward, so, you know, not to add more to the, to the burden of the next president. Uh, but the reality mm. is that uh, not being a quote-unquote normal state has its challenges. And yeah. But uh, having said that though, uh, the people have spoken in Taiwan, again from us here uh, at the Institute uh, of Indo-Pacific Affairs and from our show, the views from down under, we absolutely congratulate the Taiwan people for a successful, peaceful, fair, and open election. Congratulations. And with that, I want to thank all of our listeners uh, for joining us today on this uh, talk about Taiwan politics. Uh, Some of you might not think that Taiwan politics is your cup of tea, but uh, it is an important part. It is an an, an interesting story about democracy and and what we learn about coalition politics and party politics and geopolitics. So without further ado, thank you again. Uh, And uh, please uh, subscribe to our program, introduce us to your friends, and uh, we hope you continue to uh, listen to us. Thank you.